It's great to be back. I took a rowdy crowd of people to uh, Israel. We just got back for two weeks. Here's the crowd right here. Nobody was arrested this time. That's how you count a good trip. Great experience uh, for all those enjoy, who uh, uh, enjoyed the trip with us. If uh, Listen, put it on the top of your bucket list. We'll probably do it again in two years. We've made reservations. It's not a vacation. Uh, it's, it's a life-changing moment where you never read the Bible the same way again. So anyway, so there, we're, uh, we're back. It's so fun to come back to Grace Covenant Church because this time of the year, we call it Christmas at Grace, and I am always... Uh, overwhelmed in many ways. I just love the decorations uh, that the men and women do here to put that together. And, and the, the music, we let the guys uh, show off some of their skills and play back songs that we all, or many of us, remember anyway. Sometimes even the aroma of the place brings back some fun memories of Christmas. And I mean, the reason we do all of this work, and today you can see we have a very special service. The reason we do that is we, we, wanna, we want to try to get our hearts right for Christmas. In light of all the things that are going all on around us and, and the nature of Christmas being almost entirely commercial, we want to stop at the church and say, okay, what is, what is this? What's it all about? The experience of worship. That's what Christmas is. It's an experience of worship. And today we're doing a thing called Mosaic, and, it, and it's a hands-on experience of worship that I hope you enjoy. We do it about every two years or so. If you brought your Bibles or it's on your phone or whatever, I, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 2. I want to show you a, a similar, uh, a familiar passage to you that, uh, that you'll see how Christmas is worship. It, Christmas season is a season of worship. And that's why the series is called, Oh, Come, Let Us Adore Him. When you say the word Christmas in your mind, it, it's easy to go immediately to words like family or decorations or maybe even gifts, but Christmas is worship. You think of the word worship sometimes. Those words, that word comes to your mind and other words pop up and you think music and, and singing, maybe attending a service, but the word worship itself means it's a response. Worship is a response. It's responding to God. Worship is an effect of a previous cause. Worship is an effect of a, of a previous cause, and the cause is the nature of God, who God is and what he has done. And when we worship, it's, it's, it's something that happens in our souls and outside of us. And so the most important attribute, the most important thing, description about yourself is what you think about God. And your response to that is worship. That's why, it's so, that's why it's so important to think rightly about God. Yahweh, Yahweh worship can happen anywhere, anywhere, at any time. You can worship the Lord in, at work, not just at the physical location of work, but in your work when you do your best, when you, when you, when you show him a response to the gifts that he's given you. You can have worship and a response to Yahweh in, in conversations that you have with other people, in relationships, in even uh, festive events. So, I mean, when we look at this passage today, I want you to be thinking about, about these important points. This is how we're going to see it being applied. You should see this in your own life, is who do you think God is? Yahweh, who do you think he is? What he's done? And then how, how is 
your response to that? What does your response look like to that? Because we're going to look at a passage today, and we're going to see what happens when people worship, what happens when people respond to the nature of God and what he's done. This is uh, Matthew chapter 2. First few verses say, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days Herod was king, behold, the Magi, actually those are wise men, from the east came to Jerusalem, and they were saying, Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and, it, and we have come to worship him. So who are these men, and why are they here in Jerusalem? Uh, the, the men are, in some of your translations, it will say magi, and it's the idea of these, uh, these are wise men. That's why it's translated this way. These, these are priests. They are sages. It, uh, it would be a, a religious scientist, right? They, they, they're, they're academically smart, and they are religiously astute. And so they study the stars, astronomy, astrology. They're almost the same science in those days. And and they're from the east, probably from the Arabian Peninsula in light of the gifts that they're bringing. And why are they coming to Jerusalem? Why are they at this site asking Herod these questions, these outsiders? Why have they come? Because as outsiders, as foreigners, they don't know, they may not know anything of the Jewish faith. And God is constantly, like he's doing now, he's communicating to them in the language they understand appearing, uh, appealing to their curiosity, seeking truth and following truth wherever it leads, and they saw something in the stars. That's their language. And they saw something happening that had never been seen before, and they thought, what could possibly justify this alteration in, in our gazing at night, this star, except for the proclamation of a new king. And so they looked at each other and they said, we, we, we've got to go. We've got to do this. We've got to follow this truth wherever it leads, no matter the cost. And so it leads to Jerusalem, the capital uh, in this area at the time, and they pay tribute to the king there, King Herod, and he is not at all excited about the idea of a new king. And so he, 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 wants, he wants to know where this is going to take place. And so he, bring me the priests, bring me the scribes, the Bible scholars, and they go to a prophecy in Micah chapter 5 where it says, out of you, Bethlehem, will come from me who will rule over Israel. And Herod's thinking, Bethlehem? That's right down the hill. That's five miles away. I can take care of this quickly. And so he comes with this plan. He tells these wise men, he says, look, it's going to be right down the hill. You go there and you worship that new king of the Jews. And by all means, come back and tell me because I've got a little something that I'd like to give him. And so that's how the plan is being unfolded. And here's how the next verses roll out. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, uh, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it tame, came and rested over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they, this is a literal translation, I wanted to use this one, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. <laughs> they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. A bit redundant, but it was overflowing. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, 
gold and frankincense and myrrh. They saw him, they worshiped, they fell down. They saw him, they worshiped, they gave gifts. Bowing down is worship. Giving gifts is worship. They, they, they were overwhelmed by who this was. And so they brought him gifts, precious gifts. Uh, scholars will tell you that the, the frankincense and myrrh was worth more than the gold itself. And, and this is probably the wealthiest Jesus and his family will ever be. As a matter of fact, some say that uh, Jesus' entire career, he wouldn't make as much as he did on this day when these wise men came and gave these great and precious gifts. And their attitude, their attitude towards it, it wasn't begrudging, it wasn't an obligation. It, it says the mood here, it says they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. They were overflowing. They could not contain it. They couldn't keep it inside. We've got to worship. So they fall down and they give gifts. And giving gifts is always part of worship. And, and, and they, they did this, not, because they, not just because they saw the star again, not because they, they found the boy. Not, and I promise you that, I, I, well, I, from what I would expect, God allowed them to have an unusual experience, a spiritual moment in this. And that was part of it. But also, they had an opportunity to do something. They had an opportunity to give. They had an opportunity to worship in their giving. And worship is always involving giving. It's, it's the nature of it. Giving causes worship. Worship causes giving. And the Bible is from the front to the back. You see in the first family, Cain and Abel, their first story starts with about worship, appropriate and inappropriate worship. You, you, you see later on, Abraham, when he's making his journey, he's following the Lord on a great adventure, right? Doing scary things together. And every once in a while, he just stops. He builds an altar and he worships in his giving. The story of Israel is in their gifts and how to give, and when they're giving right, and when they're not. And then the church itself, they, they talk about regular giving for the poor, for the people that need things, and, and to start new churches, the idea of getting the word out. But let's go a little deeper. Why? Why is giving and worship so connected? Why is it that when people worship, they're giving, and when people are giving, they're worshiping? I'll give you a clue. Become like Christ in all of life. Worship and giving are connected with one another because Yahweh is a generous God. When you look at the story in the Bible, it, it, it shows that Yahweh is a God in contrast to almost every other religion in the world in that Yahweh gives, Yahweh serves, and and it is when we become like Christ in all of life, generosity is just one of those attributes we take upon ourselves. God, God gives us earth so that we could, in, you know, inhabit that, but also work it. We get to enjoy the management of it. He gives us relationships with other human beings that if, if we practice certain disciplines, we can enjoy the depth of human experience the way it was meant to be had. He allows us in, in a gift, he gives us the wisdom of how to live so that we're not banging around, you know, learning things the hard way. He gives us the law. It's a gift 
from, from God. And then he gives us the most important thing, and that is his presence. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. This is not a promise from just the Newer Testament. It is an Older Testament promise as well. God says, I will be with you. We've been studying that for a year now. And the nature of God being generous, as the nature of God as a gift giver, is culminated in the Christmas story, right? There's no, because in the Christmas story, it's not as though God is giving out of the abundance of the nature of God having all things and owning all things. This gift is different. This gift is his son, his only son, the one that he loves. And he gives us this gift, and it's a real gift. It's a sacrificial gift. It's a costly gift. Because if righteousness can be found in the law, then Christ died needlessly. This is the only way we can have a relationship with God. This is the only way we can have a debt paid that we can't pay off ourselves. It's the only way our shame can be overshadowed with his honor and glory. And so he gives us, he gives us this gift. That's the Christmas story. And the Christmas story, it, 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 it's a, it tells us, it shows us, it paints a vivid picture of the nature of God, who God is and what he does. And the story here is that he enjoys giving. And when we become like Christ in all of life, we enjoy giving. And that's what's happening to the magi, the wise men. They get there and they say, we fall down. We bow down and we give. Gifts change lives. Gifts have the potential to change a whole gener generations of families. In this story itself, listen, if you, I mean, think, we, it's so it's familiar to us. We need to understand that when these men arrive uh, from the east in Bethlehem, they, they find out right then and there that Joseph and Mary are, are a couple of limited means. They're probably lower middle class. They're not impoverished, but they certainly do not have wealth. And, and there was no way that the stars could tell them to expect that. They would expect a king. They would expect a newborn king in a palace, and they would just bring the best that they had that could compete with that king's wealth. But they come in here, and they see this very modest couple, and they're thinking, oh, my. Our gifts are going to change every life in this household. Gifts change lives. When I was uh, leaving for graduate school my first year, I, was, I, I didn't have any money. I shouldn't have even gone that semester, but I did anyway because I, I make choices and then think about them later. Anyway, so I, I was sitting down to lunch with a friend, and he said, so, so how's it going with that? How are you going to make ends meet? I said, well, I think I can live for under $100 a month. I don't know how, but I can do that. Uh, and then, and then I, there's, a, there's always ramen so I can eat. I, I've got my food thing covered. I said, there's this one thing I don't have. I don't know if I have any gas money. And, you know, going up the hill and coming back down and, you know, maybe I can coast. But I, I don't know how I'm going to get to school. I just don't. And I'm, gonna, I'm just going to have to, I don't know, trust God for that. doesn't seem smart right now. And he, he reached back in his wallet and he pulled out a credit card. It would be a, a gas card, like an Exxon card. And he just gave it to him and he said, there, you can use mine. I'll pay for all your gas. That gift 
changed my life because I wouldn't be here if he didn't give me that gas card. Gifts change lives. Here's the rest of the story. King Herod is insane with the threat of another king. And he's killed his own children because they were a threat to him. So he's killed children before. He's not going to lose any sleep killing strangers, strangers that have children. And so he pronounces this edict that everyone in the area, every boy three years and below, is, is, is going to die. And so Mary and, and Joseph and Jesus, they have to run to Egypt. And it says that he, they are in exile for Egypt. Some scholars say between like five, maybe 10 years, they have to wait for this crazy Herod to die. And when you ask the question, how could they do that? Some Bible authorities will say that that exile, that exodus was financed by these wise men giving gold and frankincense and myrrh. These wise men that were just following the truth that God gave them served our Savior. They served you and me because they worshiped, because they gave. Here's the summary of the story. Wise men in the East who were just seeking truth looked into the stars, and God communicated in a way that they would understand. And he said, let's go do scary things together. And these men said, yeah, at great risk for the sake of an adventure and at a a cost to them, they went and did what God led them to do. And as a result, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. They worshiped and they gave. And this Christmas, if you worship, you're going to find yourself becoming like Christ in all of life and becoming generous. The little drummer boy is kind of the inspiration of of the message today because it says, our finest gift. I loved that movie, The Little Drummer Boy. Growing up, uh, back in those days, you could only watch it one half hour of the whole year, and so we would make arrangements so that we could watch The Drummer Boy. And I don't, it's, I just, I cry every time I watch that movie. Since the first time I saw it to last year, I love that movie. It speaks to me in great ways. And it got so kind of strange around our house that, you know, that the last, I don't know, five, ten minutes of the movie, people quit watching the show. They would watch me watch the show (laughs) just to see how much I would turn into kind of this blubbering, crying thing. And, and it's, I love, because it's, it's about transformation. Maybe it's, maybe it's too close to home in some respects because it's about a rage-filled little boy and, and his ambition to stay angry. And then, he, and then he gets carried along and finds himself in Bethlehem, and he sees what other people are seeing. He sees the baby, and he sees other people fall down and worship. He sees other people give in worship. And then he sees the baby and he has nothing to give. He's just a poor boy. And he, he, he's seeing the whole thing happen to him. And, and the tension, the tension is, is snapped 
about what he can do to express his worship because worship always, in, is, always includes giving. And he has an epiphany. At the epiphany, he says, I can give him, I can give him me. I can give him my gifts. I can give him my talent and all the discipline over these years and that I could play for him. I will play my best for him. And so he does. He gives him himself. He gives him the rage. He gives him his embitteredness. He gives him his life. And then the babe smiles at him. And that worship changes that boy. He smiles for the first time in years. It alters his soul. That's the power of generous worship. So this Christmas, here's the challenge. This Christmas, do something extravagant in your worship. Do something that is so generous that it can only be explained by you enjoying who God is and what he has done. Do something physical with your worship, and you'll find yourself in a place where you rejoice exceedingly with great joy.